Okay, let's just uh, bow our heads and pray as uh, we prepare to look at God's Word together. Father, we thank you for your Word. We thank you that you speak to us through your Word. We thank you that by the Holy Spirit you bring these things to to bear it in a fresh and new way into our lives. And we pray, Lord, that you would do that this morning. Lord, we pray that we may just uh, see something of your glory, Lord Jesus, and know, Father, your, your great love for us in Christ. Thank you. Feed us, we pray, from your word as we come to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, the revelation. <laughs> I wonder uh, what comes into your mind when you hear that word, revelation, or as some people call it, revelations. It'd be interesting to say, okay, what, what is it? Uh, I guess we get all kinds of answers. Uh, fascinating stuff. Uh, if you do, I did it only for a very short time, let me just say. A Google search for images that go with revelation or revelations. And boy, there's some weird stuff up there to have a, <laughs> to have a look at. Charts and strange things. And, uh, and again, sometimes as we think about the book of Revelation, we get these kind of weird images that we, we think, or, or we have strange kind of notions of, of perhaps horror films that we've seen or that we know about with strange numbers and all kinds of stuff like that. Well... Sometimes we think about future predictions. It's certainly a great read. Uh, some people might read the book of Revelation and think, well, goodness me, what, well, what is John taking? You know, what did he have before he, he went to bed that night or to, before he saw these visions? Um, actually, it's, uh, Revelation is a book that I don't know whether anyone would confess to this. They're not in here, Re- uh, Revolution. I think they're in their group today. But it's a book that uh, teenagers often read when they're in church getting bored. Or maybe not just teenagers. Maybe some of you have done that. I know when I was a teenager, I used to do that because it was just so fascinating. And, and if I was very bored with what was going on, I thought, well, this is, this is woo kind of thing. It's an interesting book. Now, um, we're going to spend about the next eight Sundays, for the, for the Bible teaching, but anyway, looking into the first section of the book of Revelation. So I don't know whether you want to turn it up. It's on page 1233 in the church Bibles. And uh, to start with today, I, I want really to think about um, yeah, what actually this book is. You know, uh, and we'll start by reading... Uh, verses 1 to 4, the first part of verse 4. Because we, we need to understand what we're looking at if we're going to kind of understand what it is before we can really kind of grasp it or, or, or let it impact us. For it's, let's see what it says for itself. Chapter 1, verse 1. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John who testifies to everything he saw, that is, the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. Blessed is the one who reads the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear it and take to heart what is written in it, because the time is near. John to the seven churches in the province of Asia, and we'll read on in in a minute. So can we just start then by thinking what it is, what is Revelation. Well, from the very first word here, we can see that actually it's about seeing things differently. So having a new kind of perspective on 
kind of everything really, but on, on the particular subjects that, that are being addressed here. The very first word, is the revelation, is the word apocalypse. And, and you've heard of films, and, and that, that's the, the book of Revelation is sometimes called the apocalypse. And that word means simply unveiling, revealing. You know, sometimes in English, you know, if someone says, you know, they say, you know, someone says something to them in the conversation, or they, and they say, that was a revelation to me. And what they mean by that is not they've seen the end of the world, or they've had an amazing vision of some strange creature, but that they've seen something clearly, that they, or they've seen an angle on it that, that they didn't get before. And that's, that's the idea here of, of apocalypse. It's a, a kind of unveiling uh, and that's what it means. Something I'd missed. It's kind of, if you like, it's a, a show-and-tell type book. Um, and, and in fact, you get that, don't you? And not only that in, in the first verse there. It says, God gave this revelation of Jesus Christ to show, to show his servants. John is later told to write down what you see. It's all about what he sees. The whole book of Revelation is about helping us to see things differently. A bit more than that, who's it for? Well, it's for very ordinary, down-to-earth believers, ordinary Christians who love and follow Jesus. So verse 1, it says, it's his servants. It's to show his servants what must soon take place. Uh, And it's simply a word from God. It's the truth about Jesus as it begins. And it's for his servants, people who want to serve him who put their lives in his hands and want to follow him. It's just for, for Christians, not for specialist soothsayers or, you know, horror film script writers or, or, you know, whatever, or people who, you know, strange people who can only understand the mysteries of the book of the Revelation. It's a book for ordinary believers, people like you and people like me. Uh, and even to underline that even further, verse 3 says, what does it say there? There's a blessing He says that the person who reads it, the person who hears it, the people who take it to heart are blessed. That's hopefully all of us as we read it and hear it and take it to heart. We can be blessed by God. It's for all of us. Um, It's not just for very obscure people who like obscure stuff. It was written in the first century by the Apostle John from a vision that he sees. It's, It's a word from God to a a group of churches who John knew. He'd been a leader uh, in at least one of them. Uh, The kind of tradition tells us anyway. Um, There's no biblical evidence for it, but there's other evidence to say that he was uh, a leader in in one of those churches uh, and that that he knew them well. uh, John himself is not in that part of the world. We'll find out where he is in a moment. And these churches were challenged by, by different problems and you know there were great things about them and there were tough things they were going through some things they got really on target other things they were kind of wavering off a bit and and this message comes to those communities of believers initially and and John's given this picture of how God sees things how he sees them and and he wants these believers that he's going to be writing to uh, Jesus has told him to, to give them this message to help them see things from another perspective. It's very, very visual. Uh, we will see that as we read even this first chapter. It gets mightily visual after about at the end of chapter 3, but we're not going to do that in this chunk. Maybe later, if you think, uh, well, we'll see how we go with the first three chapters first. 
It's also not only for ordinary believers, it's kind of where the action is in one sense. Uh, what do I mean by that? Well, look at that phrase there in the first verse, what must soon take place. Now, now this kind of writing is it's called apocalyptic writing. It's a form of literature. We have it in the Bible in the Old Testament. Daniel wrote the, the book of Daniel, which very, as we've already seen, connects very closely with the book of Revelation. It's a book written in a similar way, a message from God in a similar form to this. Uh, and uh, usually, uh, as in the case of Daniel, and there were other Jewish writers at the same time writing these kind of apocalyptic kind of um, books and messages and stuff uh, and, and usually it was all about the end of everything all about how the world ends and, and that kind of thing but uh, here it's not, is it? it's not about what's going to take place a long, long time but what is soon to take place See, the New Testament Christians believe very firmly in fact they knew and the Bible says so that they were already in the last days what they meant was that by the last days was that when Jesus came and rose from the dead, is ascended back to heaven. He is the ascended, risen king, uh, and the end has already kind of begun. The kingdom has started. The king is here. It's yet to be fulfilled. It's only a matter of time before, as it were, the, 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 the end of everything and the beginning of the, the new age begins. And so this is, is very much with this perspective of this is, what's going to, this is a, a picture of what's happening now, not just what's happening in some distant end of the world time. Although the, the, the book of Revelation does go through to right to the end of everything, uh, and it does that actually several times. Um, but that's another story. So let's, that's what it is. Let's think also about where it's from. Let's read verse 4 to verse 8. So grace and peace to you from him who is and who was and who is to come and from the seven spirits before his throne or the sevenfold spirit before his throne, it says there on the footnote in the NIV. And from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead and the ruler of the kings of the earth. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and has made us to be a kingdom and priest to serve his God and Father, to him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen. Look, he is coming with clouds and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all the peoples of the earth will mourn because of him. So shall it be. Amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. Well, John is writing it, but clearly it's come from God, isn't it? This message, it's there. It says there, grace and peace to you, verse uh, 4, from him who is and who was and who is to come. It's from the eternal God. It's a little reminder of what God says to Moses when he introduces himself at the burning bush, the God who is uh, I am, the God who was and is and is to come, the ever-present, eternal God. The Holy Spirit, a reference to the Holy Spirit there before the throne, it says, and from Jesus Christ. And there's this little phrase summing up who God is, Father, Son, Spirit. And, they've, and, and the, the words focus on Jesus as the Son. Look at what it says about him, verse 5. Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness. Jesus Christ, 
who is uh, the, the one who is the firstborn from the dead. It talks of his resurrection. Jesus Christ, who is the ruler of the kings of the earth. All about Jesus. Now, these Christians, these believers, at this time, about 80 or the, the, the late 80s, 90s, first century, are beginning to really experience persecution. Because Roman empires are demand, uh, emperors are demanding worship. Some of them, as we will see in the next few weeks, have given their lives for their faith in Jesus. They were under pressure, having to stand trial. Just as Jesus did. So John reminds them, Jesus is the faithful witness. He stood there under trial. You may face death, Jesus faced death. You know the power of the state against you, says John, says this vision. Well, Jesus is the ruler of the kings of the earth. This description of Jesus has huge significance for these believers who first read this. But it's more than a God from God. It's more than a God who has certain attributes. It's more than a God who just is certain things. He's a God who's done certain things. You see what it says here about what he's done? In fact, John in, it kind of bursts into worship in, in verse uh, 5, second half, after that gap in the NIV. This God who, who loves us, it says. The God who's bringing this word loves us. The God is going to uh, speak to these seven churches and, go, uh, and as the book goes on to talk about lots of other things, he's the God who, it all comes through his love. He loves us. Let's get hold of that. But more than that, he's freed us. He's freed us from our sins, it says. The reminder of Jesus is like the high priest in the Jewish religion. We read of it in the book of Hebrews. The high priest who loved the people, who came into the presence of God in the temple with the blood of a sacrifice so that the people could be in right relationship with God. With God. The high priest who prayed for the people, who is full of compassion. He's freed us from our sins by his blood. It's Jesus brought his own sacrifice, as it were, so that we could be free, so that we could be rescued. And so that not just that, it says he's made us to be a kingdom. And like priests, they have the kind of access to God ourselves that, that in the old days only priests could have. Jesus has done that for us. And it, it, it reminds it, again, this is reminders of the story of the Exodus. And, and the phrase is the same. Remember, God rescued the people out of Egypt, out of slavery, set them free from that, and brought them, it says, into the desert. And, and it says that he made them his people. He kind of, he loved them and brought them into relationship with him. And it says in, in Exodus 19, I've made you to be a kingdom of priests. That's what all this is kind of ringing bells about. And John bursts into not just worship, but poetry. There it is at the bottom of the first column in, in the version we look. Look, he's coming with the clouds, says John, or sings John, I don't know. He's coming back. The work that Jesus has done will be vindicated before the whole world one day. Phew, it's a pretty, you know, already it's quite, it's quite big, isn't it? It's quite a big kind of picture of, 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 and you can imagine those struggling communities of Christians thinking, oh, how do we carry on? And they get this message from this God, the God who has, uh, loves us and who's freed us and has made us to be a kingdom of priests through, through Jesus. Okay, well, who's it for then? Let's read on. 
Let's read verse 9. I, John, your brother and companion in the suffering and kingdom and patient endurance that are ours in Jesus, was on the island of Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. On the Lord's day I was in the Spirit, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet, which said, Write on a scroll what you see, and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. Who is it for? It's for a community, isn't it? It's coming to a community. And John is part of that community. John is connected to these believers. He knows these churches. But he's not with them. He's in exile. He's on the island of Patmos, which was a kind of prison colony at the time. Um, I got a picture of it here. Should be coming up. No? Have I got it? There we go. Actually, doesn't look too bad, does it, from that picture? <laughs> I quite like to go there on sabbatical, I think. And uh, <laughs> anyway, that, that's the island of Patmos. It's a kind of crescent shape, and that's how it looks today, because it's you know full of blue sea and, and boats and tourists and so on. But at the time, it was a pretty rocky, desolate place. There were quarries there, and it was like this kind of penal colony. And John the apostle, because of his witness, because of his faith. Because of his refusal to, to bow to the state, had been sent there um, on exile. He says um, that's what's happened to him. And he is part of this community because he says there, doesn't he, uh, uh, in verse 9, your brother and your companion, but what in? He says it's a community in Jesus, but it's a, it's a community, your brother and your companion in suffering, in the kingdom, and in patient endurance. It's a community that knows suffering. It's a community that knows it's part of the kingdom of God. Knows that there's more to everything than just the circumstances around. Just the events. It knows that it's connected with Jesus, its king, our king. And that God's purposes are greater uh, for good for all for them than the, uh, in all that they're going through, knowing that the Kim King is with them, so that they can patiently endure. That's this community in Jesus, and as representatives of this community, um, seven churches are mentioned. There they are. They're up on the map. I hope can you see them. There's the seven, and and, and there's there's going to be this this letter is going to go around to these seven churches, in probably in the order that a traveller would go, uh, someone by road would take a route, and he would take this 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 book, this message to all of these these churches, um, and they're listed they're listed there, and it's not just for those seven churches. These are representative. We know for sure that there were more than seven churches in that region at that time. The Bible itself talks of another three at least, Colossae. Um, Hierapolis and another one that I can't quite remember at the moment but, but there were more than seven at the time but, but, it, but numbers are important in the book of Revelation it has this idea, this is a representative this is like to all the churches in that region and, and the promise is that it's for the church of all time actually the very chapter end of uh, Revelation makes that very clear that this is a word to, to God's people everywhere at all times but to start with like all the other letters in the new testament it goes to specific churches but from that from the truth that that god shares with them so we can learn a great deal 
seven churches are given this uh, message. God has something. Jesus has something to say. These churches are told to see things in a new way, to hear what Jesus says to them. And us too, we can say, well, look, God's got something to say to us, and we need to hear that. So John gets a vision, a window, a revelation to another way of seeing the world he's in and the way it's going. It's a Sunday, he says. That's what they call the Lord's Day. Uh, that's what they call Sunday. They call it the Lord's Day in this passage. John says "I'm in that he's in the Spirit. Maybe that means he's praying. Maybe it means he's worshipping. Maybe he's just aware that the Holy Spirit is, is speaking to him. And uh, in that setting... On that rocky island, uh, as he's there, he hears a voice speaking, telling him to write down what he sees. And uh, he turns round, and this is what he sees, verse 12. I turned round to see the voice that was speaking to me, and when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands, and among the lampstands was someone like a son of man. Dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet, and with a golden sash round his chest. His head and hair were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze, glowing in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand he held seven stars, and out of his mouth came a sharp, double-edged sword. His face was like the sun, shining in all its brilliance. Verse 17, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Then he placed his right hand on me and said, do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead and behold, I am alive forevermore. And I hold the keys of death and Hades. Write therefore what you have seen, what is now and what will take place later. The mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and of the seven golden lampstands is this. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. That's what he turns around, and that's what he sees. A revelation of Jesus. A revelation of Jesus. See, this book is a seeing of Jesus Christ. It, it's seeing Jesus in a new way, seeing Jesus as, in one sense as he really is. We're told that in the very first phrase of the book, chapter 1, verse 1, the revelation of Jesus Christ. Seeing Jesus, that's what John sees, that's what the whole book is all about. Uh, and there are these different pictures of who Jesus is, of what Jesus has done, of how his kingdom rule is worked out right up to the end of this age and into the age to come. So we're going to look quite briefly at what John sees here. I've just read it. What on earth is it all about? I'm not entirely sure. Neither is anyone else, but we've got some clues to look at. But you do need just one point to bear in mind. We're not looking at a photograph here. We're looking at a series of pictures. Uh, pictures actually that keep changing uh, as John kind of focuses on, on, on one piece. It's a picture that is telling something fundamentally true about Jesus. Let's see. Well, see. What does he first see then? Well, first of all, he sees seven golden lampstands. Here you are. Here's some Roman lampstands. John is writing in AD 
uh, 80. I don't think he's thinking about the seven-branch candlestick in the temple because the temple disappeared in AD 70. There was no temple. There was no Judaism to speak of at this time. John's writing to Gentiles. They would all know what a lampstand was. There, there's a couple. Sorry, I'm pointing to the wrong thing on the screen. Um, that one's from Herculaneum. Those two are actually in the British Museum. I'm not sure where they came from, but they're somewhere in the Roman Empire. Something, basically, that you put a lamp on. Fairly obvious. That's what he saw. Uh, and then among them, he sees uh, a figure maybe moving around them or maybe in the middle of them. And this figure, he, uh, we read, is, is like a son of man. Now, this is not the same phrase that Jesus used, you know, when he used, described himself as the son of man. But as the NIV footnote makes very clear, it's actually a quotation from that other apocalyptic book in the Bible, Daniel, Daniel chapter 7. We, we read it earlier. In fact, Bill read it to us in the open worship. Thanks, Bill. It's that person in the book of Daniel who, who is, is God's king, the one who's given authority and power. We thought about that last week, actually, as well. And John describes this figure. John says this figure has got a robe on, the kind of robe that an Old Testament priest would wear with a sash. You can check that out in Exodus 39, 29, if you want. Or maybe a king would wear a similar robe. His hair, it says, is white. has that idea of purity and wisdom. Daniel, again, in book of, the book of Daniel, Daniel describes God as the ancient of days. We sometimes sing a song, you know, glory and power, honor and wisdom to be to the ancient of days. That's a quotation from Daniel. And Daniel describes God as the ancient of days. And in Daniel's descriptions of God in his book, he uses language exactly like this. He has white hair. His eyes are blazing. His feet are like glowing metal. And this is all the kind of language of God in, in Daniel's apocalyptic book um, hundreds of years before. It's a glorious Jesus. What John sees is a glorious Jesus, doesn't he? And it blows him away, as we shall see. He, he, uh, in his right hand, he's holding seven stars. Oh, right, okay, let's just bear that in mind. There's a sword in his mouth. It's like, uh, again, it, it, it's a picture, isn't it? I mean, it, it, you think, well, how do you have a sword coming out of your mouth? Well, well, what comes out of your mouth? Words, okay? So what's it telling us? Well, it's about his words. The Bible talks about itself as, as a sword. God's word is like a sword, his words that are powerful. And then John looks again at his face. So, you know, he's looked away, or, you know, or the, the picture focuses. And, and what is his face like? It's shining brighter than the sun. Would have taken John back to his time at the Transfiguration when Jesus on earth, suddenly his whole appearance changed and, and was like the sun, gloriously white, so bright that you couldn't look at him. What about his... There's nothing brighter, is there, than the sun at midday shining in full strength. Nothing is brighter than that. Nothing is louder, as if you've been down Cornwall recently, you'll know. There's no sustained loud noise in the natural world louder, I suspect, than the, loud, the sound of huge breakers or Niagara Fall or, you know, one of those... Waters about the loudest we get on a sustained basis. And, and the voice, John says, is la like that. It's glorious. 
And John is overwhelmed. He's on the floor. He thinks, I can't take this. I'm going to die. It's too much. He's out. He's finished. Too much glory. I can't, I can't cope. That was his experience in his vision. But there's more to it because verse 17 and 18, again, the picture changes. And he's aware of a hand on his shoulder, maybe. A touch he recognizes and a voice he knows. He's heard that voice before. The voice says, do not be afraid. He's heard that voice say, do not be afraid to countless people that he healed and blessed and touched and reassured. And this voice identifies the person as his closest friend, Jesus. He says, I am the one who died and rose. Jesus identifies himself as the living one, the one who holds the keys of death and Hades, the place of the dead. Hades is the place of the dead in this system of thinking. He says, I have keys. Keys are a sign of authority and leadership. You know, not everyone has keys to everything. You know, only a few, only, I think it's only, only the elders and, the, and some of the, I think the staff too, have the keys to the office. So, so you know, the, the keys to the church office <clears throat> are only limited to certain people for security reasons, obviously. Uh, it's that kind of idea. That's not to say the elders and the staff are better than all the rest of you, because we're not, you know, you know what I mean. It's a symbol of authority. But you see, he is also... The, uh, uh, he, he's, also, he's the Lord of everything, the one who has government over death, the place of the dead, the one who has died. He has scars. He's been through it himself. And John experiences the close Jesus, the one who loves us, the one who's freed us from our sins by his blood, the one who's conquered death, the compassionate high priest, and the one who has something to say to these community of believers at this time and to every other community of believers since. And we're going to listen to what this one says to his people over these next few weeks. What's the first thing Jesus says to them? What's the first thing he wants John to tell these churches? Well, he says to him, John, first of all, you need to know that the lampstands are the churches and the stars in his hand have something to do with the churches. Lots of people have talked about what do this, does the star or the angel mean, the angels of the churches. What does it mean? We don't really know. It could be three things. I haven't got time to go into what they might be. But the key thing is they are something to do with the local churches, these seven stars. And Jesus is among all of them. Jesus says, I am among these churches. Let's remember that in our city. He's among the churches. Let's remember that in our nation. He is among the churches. Let's remember it in our world. He's among these communities. He's among all of them. He's not just tied to one or another. He's among them all. He cares passionately about them all. And if we want to be like him, so should we. But more than that, The thing about the stars is surely telling us that should be coming up. He's holding each church. Each one are in his powerful hands. He holds these communities. And that's his first main point. This one, the glorious Jesus, is also the close Jesus. 
the reigning, ruling Jesus is the one who loves us and the one who is among the communities of his people and who holds them. And we are part of that. He holds this church in his hand. He holds you and me. He moves among the churches in this city. So as I finish, let's just take a fresh... Are we really going to be able to take a fresh look? Can we go into this week seeing things a bit differently? Can we see... Um, can we put on... If you, want, you, know, re- you put on glasses, it helps you to see things a bit clearly. Can we put on Revelations glasses and look around and, and see things in a, a different way around us this week? To see our church or whatever church you're part of, and it's good to have some people back around and some others visiting us, whatever part church you're part of, he holds it. Can we see uh, our church, our Lord, each other, the way he sees it in this book, the way it really is? What would we see if we did? We'd see, first of all, wouldn't we, that Jesus is big. Jesus is glorious. This is the Jesus that, that is for us. This is the Jesus we know, the Jesus that is described here. This is a Jesus who, who is close. He is right by us. He puts his hand on our shoulder and reassures us. He is awesome. He's powerful, but he's the one who draws near to us. He tells us he's alive and he's got authority over the things we fear most, death and what follows. Do you want to know him? Do you want to know him close to you? Because you can. Do you want to know what it is to be freed from your sins? Because you can. He is big. He is awesome. He is also close. He holds each church in his right hand. That includes this church. It includes us. So, you know, we can pray. We can believe. We can, we can trust. We can invest. We can, uh, I don't just mean money either, by the way, but we can, we can take risks because it's true. Jesus holds this church as he does every other local church. And he is among the churches. Let's remember that in the city. Let's not have a thing, oh, you know, it's all about Portsmouth Church and, you know, Portsmouth Church or whatever church you're from. Now, we're one of many churches and Jesus is among us as churches. That's why it's great to pray with other churches. I was having breakfast with a load of other pastors and leaders yesterday. It was fantastic. I could tell you some stories from it, but I haven't got time. And then finally, Jesus has something to say to the churches. Something to say to us. Do we want to listen to him? Let's be ready to hear what he says. And if this is all true for us as community, then it must be true for you as an individual, isn't it? If you want to to come closer to him, then come down afterwards and pray with somebody or ask somebody that you know is a believer who, who can pray for you. So let's take a fresh look at this glorious Jesus and this close Jesus who holds each church, who's among the churches, and who speaks to churches. And let's pray that we hear him for his glory. Amen.